0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the filmmaking podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and I just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. But today is a Q&A episode and we have some really good questions. We have a lot from Patreon and a bunch from the YouTube community. I didn't even put out a ask on Instagram because I feel like the questions that we have are just really good, so I didn't want to add anything unnecessarily. But yeah, if this is your first time to this podcast, basically what I do is I ask for questions on my YouTube community page and I answer them here on this podcast. And one thing that I do is I actually answer questions from Patreon. So all my Patreon supporters can ask me questions there on the Patreon page as well. And I'll answer their questions first. And they're going to get a little bit of a shout out here on the podcast. So if you're interested in joining my Patreon, I am pretty active on there. And it's just another way to get some more perks, you'll get access to a lot of my digital products, on my website for free, and you'll just be able to interact with me more there. So If you're interested in that, I'll have links in the show notes of this episode. I can't really remember what episode this is. I think it's like 17 or something like that. I did have a guest lined up this month, but just got kind of busy and couldn't make it happen. But hopefully it'll happen in November. So... Let's just get straight into answering these questions, and the first one is from Jeff from Sun Valley Drive Music, and Jeff has a few questions here, and I'm excited to answer them. The first one is, for a new YouTuber, would you recommend starting out by recording a bunch of content at once, then releasing it over time, or pushing to do new content each week? Well, I would definitely say if you're first starting out, it definitely makes sense to batch record, have a bunch of videos lined up so that you can just kind of release them once a week for like maybe a couple of months or at least one month doing four videos, releasing one a week. I think that's a pretty achievable goal for most people. And it's a pretty good way to get started that way. You actually are going to have a catalog of videos because one of the things with YouTube is that YouTube will recommend channels that have established like a presence already. So like if you have one video on your channel and you make a fire video, it may not get recommended as much because you don't have anything else that YouTube can recommend to the viewers you only have one video and so they can't go on a viewing spree or like a binge watch of all your videos so it's good to batch record and have like a catalog of videos so if you make one really good video people can go out and check the rest of them i definitely say that's a good strategy but i definitely say trying to you know create new content and content that doesn't just all look the same is also a really good idea all right the next question from jeff is After having the GH3 for so long, it seemed like you moved up to the GH4 and then off it really fast. Why is that? Well, I kind of feel like I was using the GH3 for such a long time. And it was just so exciting to get a new camera that I just wanted to try all the cameras, at least all of like the budget-friendly cameras. And yeah, I switched up to the GH4, but it just didn't really feel... I mean, it looked a lot better than the GH3, obviously, but it just didn't feel like a new camera to me and because the price of the gh4 and the price of the g85 and gx85 were so close i felt like i could just sell each one and then buy the next one and not really lose any money so i figured i could you know use the gh4 for a while make a video about it sell it and I wouldn't really lose any money. I'd actually make money because the video that I made for the GH4 is continuing to make me money. So, and then the same goes for all the other cameras that I bought in that time frame. especially in 2021, I was trying a lot of different cheap cameras and kind of, you know, ended up on the Olympus, but love to the GH4, still a great camera. I mean, I just bought a GH3 again and a GH4 is basically just a better version of a GH3. So still a great camera. I just kind of wanted to change up and try different cameras because I was using the GH3 for such a long time. All right, the next question is, I've watched all of your videos and I noticed that all of a sudden there was a huge leap in the overall quality of your videos. What do you attribute to that giant leap? Well, thank you, Jeff, for watching all my videos. I have mad respect for that. Yeah, like, I don't know if you mean like the the quality of like how I present the videos or just like actually how my videos look. But I would definitely say that like the way that I light my videos continues to improve like every month that I do this, you know, filmmaking thing. But I would definitely say that one thing that I can attribute to my videos being lit better is honestly just that soft Softlighter that I've been using. I think I mentioned this before, but the soft Softlighter is one of the most like underappreciated piece of like lighting equipment i feel like everybody uses the light dome or like you know like boxes, soft boxes those are great but the soft lighter just makes everything just look so good and it just looks natural it doesn't look as lit as like a light dome would so when i got the soft box and started using you know my godox ml60 blasting it into that soft lighter and having that nice diffused light coming back through another layer of diffusion That just made all my videos look nice and soft and professional. I think that's a piece of it. I would definitely say that when I moved into my place in Oregon City and actually built my own little office, you know, and had that accent wall that was good for color grading. I think that added to it as far as like my A-roll stuff. But I'm also just been, you know, like honing my craft of framing my shots and telling my story. And I feel like. The more I do this, the better I get at it, which is what's supposed to happen. So, yeah, again, mad respect for watching all my videos. Thank you so much for that. And I'm glad you think that my videos have looked better over time because that's what you want. All right, next question is my 14-year-old son wants to start using my camera. Where would you recommend he learned how to light, edit, and color grade? Is there a Skillshare course you would recommend if the 14-year-old Nigel was starting out today? Yes, Skillshare, I feel like it's it's all kind of like put into one spot. Like there's a lot of information out on YouTube, but with a lot of channels, you know, like they'll say how to light an interview. And then you have to watch someone's vlog for 10 minutes before they actually get to the information that you want to hear. Skillshare is just like, if you click on a how to light an interview, You're not going to see any fluff, any vlog content. It's just going to be straight to the point. Here's how you light an interview. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of Skillshare classes that have really great information. If you did want to, you know, start a Skillshare account, you can go to one of my videos that was a Skillshare sponsorship, at least one of the latest ones, and just click on that link and you can get a one month free trial. Just go try it out and see how you like it. That's what I would recommend. But yeah, Skillshare is definitely... It's got a lot of information condensed into one space, whereas YouTube, it's kind of spread out all over the place. And you might have to, like, spend more time listening to why somebody, I don't know, flew across the country or how their day is going first before you actually get the information that you want. All right. The next question from Jeff over at Sun Valley Drive Music was, for new filmmakers, do you have any advice for organizing all your files, especially clips, LUTs, drafts and final cuts? Yeah, so I have a certain way that I organize all my projects, and you can do this on a Mac or a PC. I actually, I kind of adopted this method from Caleb and Niles. This is the way that they kind of like organize all of their project that they do for like like Moment and Sunny 16, is basically you create a folder, and then within that folder, you have your raw footage, so you have your raw and then you have your project and then I've actually gone a step further and I have my photos and within that photos folder I have final thumbnail, you know selects and then within my raw folder I have TH which is my talking head stuff then I have B roll and then I have extras which is this stuff that's not necessarily B roll but it's not talking head. That way when I open a project in Premiere I put the project file in the project folder within that whole folder, which I'll just name it, whatever the project is like my latest video was the GH three in 2022. That was the name of the folder. So that's kind of how I like organize everything. So when I bring in the talking head stuff, it goes into the, the talking head subfolder of the raw folder, which is inside of the main folder. And that's kind of how I organize everything when I am, you know, creating a video. And I always keep that on my main drive on my working drive either on a really fast external drive or just on the drive that's inside of my laptop and then once i'm done with it i put it onto an external hard drive or like a raid and i just you know put it in the folder that says 2022 finished videos and that's where it lives and i delete it from my main drive that's on my laptop so that's kind of how i organize stuff and then i have a folder that's called video assets and that's where i keep all my luts and all that kind of stuff. My crop bars and animations that I have. Yeah, that's kind of how I organize my stuff. That's what makes the most sense to me. All right, next question. I know you've done a couple of music videos and I was curious why you haven't done more, or maybe you just don't brag about it enough. Yeah, I've done a couple. I'm just, I'm not very good at conceptualizing music videos. And I feel like that kind of like falls into the reason why I don't do like narrative stuff because I just don't know how to like write out a good narrative. I'm good at like documentary or like live performances not necessarily like spike jones and gonna make a really cool ludicrous video if someone you know came up with that idea i would love to film it for them you know and like light it and stuff like that and be like the dp but coming up with those ideas is a little bit hard if any musicians came up with the idea and like you know storyboarded it out and came up with all the props and locations and whatnot that would be a different story but Yeah, I just I I guess the reason why I haven't done any like on my own dime is just because I don't think that I'm good enough at them. All right. If you were starting your journey from scratch, which editing tool would you use? DaVinci, Adobe, Final Cut, etc. If I was starting right now, I would go to DaVinci just because if I like had a completely blank slate and I had no clue what the Adobe suite was, I wouldn't use it. I would use DaVinci because that's what every big professional DP is using anyways. And it's free and it's insanely stable and it works really well on whether you're on a PC or a Mac. So it's cross-platform and it's great. I didn't start on that. I started on Adobe Premiere back in like, gosh, it must be like 2006, 2007 is when I started on Adobe Premiere. Before that, I was on Sony Vegas. So I've been on the Adobe platform for a long time and it's just really hard for me to unlearn everything that I learned. And I know that like everyone's saying, oh, well, you can use hotkeys, but hotkeys in like they don't make. DaVinci do the same things that they make Adobe Premiere do. And until someone can teach me how to do that in DaVinci, then I just can't switch from it right now because I make videos every single week and I can't spend two months learning DaVinci. That's the main reason why I don't use it. But if I was starting out from scratch, DaVinci 100%. I use it to color my videos. I just don't do anything else other than color grade. All right, we have more from Jeff from some Valley Drive music. So Jeff asks, we have the small rig cage you recommended for the GH4 as well as the RSC2. And we bought the tripod you recommended, the 71-inch tripod. We have been struggling with going from cage to gimbal to tripod in an efficient way. What's your favorite system for a rig for attachments, especially as it relates to speed and workflow and reducing frustration and going from cage to gimbal to tripod with an external screen with the handles, with the quick release, etc. So my favorite way to do that is just with a quick release system. And I would definitely say that if you are going to be going from gimbal to tripod to handheld a bunch, I would try to keep your rig as nimble as possible so if I were you, I would, you know, keep the cage with a a removable top handle. And if you're going to use a side handle, a removable side handle, but just keep it easy to like strip down to just the cage and the camera and the lens. That's how I would have it for you know going between gimbal and tripod. And I use a system that is kind of Benro slash Arca Swiss. The Benro S2 tripod heads, they use a, I think, I think it's called the S2 plate, but that S2 plate works with my s2 tripod heads but it also is arca swiss compatible so that's how i use it and i can just switch from my gimbal to my tripod and then just go handheld luckily with my em1 mark ii i don't have to use my gimbal as much anymore just because it's so good like the ibis in the olympus cameras is just so good that i haven't really had that problem that much but yeah i use like basically it's an arca swiss system And if you'd kind of like to know what my rig is like currently, I did release a video pretty recently about my EM1 Mark II rig. And I think I actually mentioned the Benro S2 uh, tripod plate that I have on my half cage for my EM1 Mark II. So yeah, that's basically what I use to get from tripod to to gimbal to handheld so the next question from Jeff is lighting what choice do you make these days if you have to film outside and indoors seems like the Amaran is getting a lot of hype for flexibility as long as you have the right mounting gear which isn't cheap what's your preferred gear for best balance of space power price and flexibility feel free to use sponsored links and we will use them (laughs) thank you well yeah so I've really come to love the Godox ML series of lights One, because they're small and they put out basically the same amount of lights as bigger lights in their category. So the Godox ML60 is essentially as bright as the SL60. The only difference is the ML60 is a little bit more expensive, but you can power it off of Sony MPF batteries. And you can power it off of wall power and it's super small. You don't need a C-stand for it, which was a huge thing for me. If a light's big enough to where you need a C-stand, that's just going to take up more space in my very small apartment. So I need to keep all of my gear as compact as possible so that's why i like the godox ml series i have the ml 60 and the ml 30 just in case i need to do a two cob light setup and i have them both in daylight temperature just because i can always gel them if i really need to because they don't really get that hot and then i recently was sent the godox tl 60 and tl 120 which are tube lights and i can use those for a lot of different things those are a little bit more expensive, but they're great. If you're just going to get one light, I would say go with the Godox ML60 and the Fotec Softlighter. If you're just doing stuff like in-studio, you could get away with like the Godox SL60 or, I mean, even the Aperture Amaran. You know, just get one of those lights that's like under 200 bucks. but I would definitely recommend that Fotec Soft Lighter. And I'll even put a link to that Fotec Soft Lighter and a few of the lights that I mentioned in the show notes of this video if you want to check those out. You've talked about expanding your channel to cover new things. This fan wonders if you would ever do what some other YouTubers are doing, like like Coffee YouTuber Emily Bryan or Rhett Scholl, Guitar YouTube, who encourages her patrons or others to send in their videos and allow you to critique their work in a nice way and give suggestions. If you're looking for new content ideas, I have another. Have Patreon make suggestions for you to film to push your creative approach. Maybe you could get out of your shell to record content you haven't attacked before. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. And I have been thinking about asking my patrons or the regular viewers on my channel if they want to like send me maybe I'll start with like an a roll talking headshot and I can give some constructive criticisms if you wanted to send me stuff. I think that would actually be a pretty fun segment, even if I just did it on Patreon. But I could see doing it as like one of my main videos as well. So Yeah, if you're listening to this and you'd like me to critique your eight-roll talking headshot, send me a message on Instagram. Maybe if I get enough requests for that, I can make a little video on it. I think that would actually be really fun. Thanks for the suggestions, Jeff. That was Jeff from Sun Valley Drive Music, one of my patrons. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Really appreciate that. All right, this next question is from matt civis hope i'm pronouncing that last name right and matt asks do you have any plans to explore and film any new spots in texas i recently heard someone talking about marfa texas and it sounded cool but a bit off the beaten path Yes, now that it's not as hot here in Dallas, I do want to start going out and exploring a little bit more of where I live. Mostly just stayed in the Dallas-Fort Worth area since I've been here. But it has been so hot that it's really hard to like go out and camp, you know? Because whether you're camping in a tent or in a van, it hasn't gotten very cold at night. And so you could be sweating just trying to sleep, which is not very fun. So... Yeah, I definitely want to explore more and camp more for sure. Now that it's gotten cooler and the mosquitoes are dying off, I definitely have plans to do that. So, yeah, I'm going to try to see a little bit more of what Texas has to offer because I know there is a lot of cool stuff to see here. That was all the questions from Patreon. Thank you so much, Matt Sivis and Jeff from Sun Valley Drive Music. Now we're going to go on to my YouTube community page, and I got a few questions there as well. So before I start, how does this sound? I actually took the time and sound treated my closet and kind of turned my closet into a little podcast recording studio. I have acoustic foam all over the walls and like the little nook that I am recording in. And yeah, I have it all over my door too. So hopefully it sounds a little bit cleaner. I I noticed before in the recordings, there was a little bit of reverb because I'm kind of talking into like a box. So I kind of wanted to minimize that. So hopefully it's sounding a little bit better for this episode. (laughs) Still just using the Zoom H1 though. All right. First question. Hello, Nigel, what situation would you use the GX85 for video shooting? I think it's a great camera. Well, if I still had the the GX85, I'd probably use it as like a travel camera or maybe like a B-roll camera and definitely a camera for photos. That one's really nice and small and compact there's a few other youtubers that actually use the gx 85 as like their main photography camera like theo crawford i think and mitchell k he's like a travel photographer he used to use the gx 85 a lot and then there's obviously spencer whiteman who kind of Popularize that camera if you want more information on those cameras i would definitely suggest going watching spencer whiteman's videos on it which i'm gonna guess you probably already have all right next question are any of your perceived shortcomings on the em1 mark ii addressed in the em1 mark iii or the om1 do you still have the gh4 would love to see a color grading comparison between the gh4 and em1 mark ii yeah so my perceived shortcomings with the em1 mark ii are definitely addressed in the om1 not so much the em1 mark iii like one of my shortcomings i think was just that it can't shoot in 10 bit not even externally the em1 mark iii you can shoot in 10 bit externally but everything else is essentially the same as the em1 mark II. that's why i haven't switched to the em1 mark iii one because it's just a little expensive and the only thing that i would really be gaining is 10 bit externally And I don't like shooting with an animus like recorder. Like I'd want to like if I was going to shoot 10 bit, I want to do it internally. I don't want to run around with a Ninja Five everywhere I go. The OM-1, the new OM-1 does 10 bit internally and it has all the things that the EM-1 Mark II and Mark III have. So yes, all my perceived shortcomings are addressed in the OM-1, but not necessarily the EM-1 Mark III. Do you still have the GH4? No, I don't. And as far as a color grading comparison, I can't really guarantee that because I don't have that camera. And unless someone lent it to me so I could do some color grading comparisons, I probably won't in the near future. And if someone did lend it to me, I would probably only release that video, that kind of a video on Patreon. Ever thought about giving Fuji or APS-C a try? From my perspective, it seems to be a good trade-off between the nimbleness of Micro Four Thirds and performance of full frame. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of a misconception. A lot of people think that I've never used a APS-C or full frame camera before because I talk so much about Micro Four Thirds, but that's not the case. I used to use APS-C a lot, actually. I mean, like everyone, I started out on the t2i t3i 60d 80d had the eos ms for a while i shot with the fuji x100s for a photography camera i had the panasonic s5 for a while so so i've shot a lot on sensors that are bigger than micro four thirds i still just think that for the price micro four thirds especially olympus now offers a lot for that i mean sub 600 hundred dollar price tag you can get an e1 mark ii now for like 500 bucks on ebay and i just feel like it offers so much for that price. You can't really find that in the APS-C market. The closest you could get is maybe like, I don't know, an X-T3, but even the X-T3, like you're not getting IBIS and the autofocus isn't as good, right? So it's like there's trade-offs for every camera, but right now the em one Mark II is just my favorite budget camera because it does the most for the least amount of money. That's why I'm using it still. I love full frame though. When I had my Panasonic S5, it was killer all right what are the best habits or practices you would recommend when first starting out i kind of get like depends on what you're asking like starting out on youtube or starting out in filmmaking in filmmaking just make stuff over and over and over again and get used to being bad like be okay with being bad at filmmaking that's what i would say because so many people and this kind of falls into like so many things in life they they Start out and they want to be like the people that they aspire to be, right? Like you want to be like Manny Apoya or Peter McKinnon or Danny Verz or whoever. And then you start making stuff and your stuff just doesn't hold a candle to theirs, right? It just doesn't look good. And so then you get discouraged and you stop. But that's not what you need to do. That's the opposite of what you need to do. You need to look at your stuff realize you suck be okay with it and then just keep going at it again i bring this back to skateboarding a lot but like if i stopped because i sucked at skateboarding i wouldn't be skateboarding still like i sucked when i started just like everybody who steps on a skateboard they suck no one gets on a skateboard and can tray flip you know what i mean now i can tray flip with my eyes closed but i've been doing it for 23 years right so it's like it's the same thing it's just like you just have to keep going at it and that can even transfer to youtube like keep going at it but i would say you have to take a little bit of a different approach to just like look at what's working on youtube and then double down on that right because if you're doing stuff and it's not working for you then you probably shouldn't keep doing it because you're wasting you know time and opportunities to maybe make something else that could be working better for you so That's what I would say for that. Next question. Hi, Nigel. Could you share your experience taking pictures with the GH3 in the photo aspect? Do you prefer Olympus E-M1 Mark II? I'm considering having only the GH3 as a hybrid camera, mainly for portraits and product photography and video, but I'm not sure about the performance. The GH3 works totally fine as a photo camera. If you look at my Instagram, a lot of those photos At least, you know, if you scroll down a bit, a lot of those photos are taken with the GH3. And I think it looks fine. Obviously, it really depends on the lens that you have, right? If you have a GH3 and like the 14 to 40 or whatever, it's probably not going to look that good because GH3, again, is micro four thirds, got a smaller sensor. You need lenses that are fast, right? So look for lenses like the Panasonic 25 mm F1.7 if you're on a budget or look at the Sigma Primes. The 16, the 30, and the 56, which are f1.4. Those are going to give you great results, you know, if you're using a GH3 or an Olympus E1 Mark II. All right. What's a good budget wide-angle lens that has autofocus abilities for micro four-thirds? I recently picked up the Panasonic 14mm f2.5 for just over 100 bucks. I was really surprised at how sharp it is, especially compared to its size. It's like the micro four thirds nifty 50 equivalent combined with my E-M1 Mark II. I think it might be the best content creator starter kit for the price. The autofocus works really well and it's not loud at all. Are there any other lenses in the 100 to 200 used price range that you could recommend for this system? Not really. First off, I don't think the 14 millimeter is necessarily a nifty 50 equivalent because it gives you a 28 millimeter equivalent field of view, but yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. There isn't a lot in that $100 to $200 range as far as wide angle goes with autofocus. The only thing that could come close to that, I think, is the Olympus 12 millimeter f2, but that's going to run you about 350 bucks in the used market. But that's really the only thing that comes close. I really think that other lens manufacturers really need to jump on the fact that There aren't a lot of wide angle options with fast apertures and autofocus in the Micro Four Thirds market. I've said this before, but if Sigma released like a 10 or 11 millimeter f1.4 to go with their trio, that would not only be great for APS-C cameras, but it'd be great for Micro Four Thirds shooters as well. So like maybe they just don't think that there's a market for it yet, but I definitely think that it would be a hit if they made something that could compete with the new Panasonic 9 millimeter f1.7. But no, as far as the $100 to $200 price range, there is nothing other than the panasonic 14 millimeter with autofocus that has a decently wide aperture what's your favorite tripod well i recommend the komen tripod a lot but yeah just get yourself the best tripod that you can afford like back in the day tripods used to be like you have to buy really expensive or you're going to buy twice nowadays you can buy something moderately priced and it'll last you for a while do you color grade in davinci resolve if not why not Yes, I do color grade in DaVinci Resolve when I'm making my LUTs. That's the only way that I make my LUTs is in DaVinci Resolve and when I want to color grade things very specifically that Adobe Premiere and Lumetri color can't do. But yeah, that's all I do in DaVinci is just to color my stuff. Do you always carry a gray card to nail exposure and white balance? I don't. Most of the time, especially with the Olympus cameras, when it's sunny outside and I set it to the sunny white balance setting, it looks pretty good. When I'm indoors, I just, I do use a white card and I white balance off of that. All right, next question. You going to try out the new FX30? Probably not. I don't know. It's cool that Sony just keeps releasing cameras. And I think that's a really good camera that is going to compete with like the Blackmagic Pocket 6K, but I have zero interest in it. It's not that I have any beef with Sony. It's just... They don't excite me anymore. You know, it's like when you release so many cameras so often and they're all good, it's like what's there to really be excited about. I would say that, you know, if you were going to buy a Sony a6600 for filmmaking, I would just say save up a little bit more and get the FX30. All right, any advice for gaining momentum and starting to create would be helpful. I would like to start creating, but there's so many obstacles. I would love to hear how you get over this. And then the same person commented on that saying specifically with personal content because I've been editing and creating under pseudonyms and unlisted videos. So far, I want to break that barrier into public videos. It is kind of hard being like super personal and like, you know, sharing parts of your personal life with the Internet. But I feel like a lot of people like that, like they like feeling that like they're listening and talking to a real person. So I would just say, like, you know, lean into the stuff that, like, makes you human. I can't really give you any, like, specific advice on gaining momentum because I feel like you have to put in the reps. And again, like I was saying earlier, make videos, see what works, what doesn't, and then just go on from there. With my videos, I found that making travel-style videos or, you know, montage skate videos, those just didn't really work for me. But sharing my perspective on low-budget filmmaking was something that a lot of people resonated with. And so I kind of just doubled down on that because that was something that I was already really passionate about. You know, figure out some things that you are passionate about, make videos about those things, and then just see what resonates with people. Whew, (coughs) man, it's gonna be a pretty long episode, isn't it? All right, next question is, can a camera GH5 be damaged by having it on for a long time? For example, streaming a sporting event. Sometimes I think about buying a cheap GH3 as a B cam just in case. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know if keeping it on for super long amounts of time is bad for the sensor. I've really never had my camera on for very long. And even when I forget to turn it off, there's like an auto off feature. And most of my cameras are going to be turning off at like 30 minutes if no one's touching them. Yeah, honestly, this is a question that I really can't answer. I've never been in a situation where my camera has been on or streamed anything for a certain amount of time. But as far as a GH3 for a cheap B cam, if you're going to use it for streaming, that could be a good option. I'm pretty sure it has clean HDMI out. So GH3s, are cheap and they're great for b cams all right next question is what recommendations do you have to upgrade a micro four-thirds camera besides getting new lenses i heard speed boosters and some other adapters to get your lenses a wider field of view but i was just wondering if there is stuff other than lenses that can upgrade your camera and do you recommend using those things Thank you. Be safe, brother. I guess it just depends on what you mean by upgrades. If you want to upgrade your audio, there's plenty of options to get better mics. A lot of things are going to seem like they're better quality if you have better quality audio. So even if you don't have the greatest lenses, having good audio can really help your videos a lot. So there's a lot of great options for wireless mics or shotgun microphones. So look into those. The Rode Wireless Go 2 is a really inexpensive and good sounding mic that'll probably sound great on whatever micro four thirds camera you have. But as far as like the actual image, I can't really recommend anything that's going to make your video look better other than lights. And that's not really an accessory for your camera, but it's, I mean, how you light the subject that's in front of your lens is going to make your videos look better. So, I mean, if I was in your position, I would look for like a microphone, like say you only have a Panasonic 25 millimeter or something like that, like the f 17 I would say get a good microphone if you're going to be doing like any type of interviews or YouTube videos, and then just get a good light and learn how to get that light nice and soft. And that's, what's going to make your video look better in the long run. So I hope that helps. All right, what's your process like for planning a video? Do you write out a script of talking points and also what shots you will be filming? Yeah, I write little bullet points in my notes app on my phone, and that just kind of helps me stay on track if I forget where I was going with a certain subject. I don't write out a script or use a teleprompter or anything like that. That just seems a little bit too robotic to me. I know that a lot of people can make it look natural, but I watch a lot of YouTube channels where I can tell 100% that they're reading from a teleprompter, and it just kind of takes me out of the viewing experience. So I don't want to do that for my audience. As far as shots that I'll need, I mentioned this in another podcast episode, but What I do is I always, if I'm doing like a review or something with a talking head segment, I'll always fill my talking head segment first, do the final cut of my talking head stuff. And then that talking head sequence will dictate the B-roll that I need. So that's kind of how I structure my videos is talking head stuff first. And then that kind of gives me the blueprint for what B-roll I need. All right. I find your videos very calm and relaxing. Is your style God gifted or have you developed it over time? I don't know about the God gifted part, but I just think that every creator has their own, you know, I don't think that I'm very different on my videos than I am in real life. I know a lot of people say, you know, you got to turn it up 10%, but I like to think that if you met me in real life, I'd probably be talking in the same cadence and at the same speed that I talk in my YouTube videos. So, how you see me in my videos is, I would say, is probably like 95% true of who I am in real life. And hopefully, if you've ever met me in real life, I hope that's right. If I'm totally off on that, you should let me know. (laughs) I have a lot of friends who express an interest in starting to do photography. What advice should I give them for getting affordable beginner gear? Well, I'm not the hugest photographer, although I am going to be doing a video centered all around photography. If you want affordable photography gear, I think right now is like a perfect time to be a photographer because like you can get a camera that shoots raw that has like 18 megapixels, which is perfect and a fairly decent sensor for really cheap like if you're just doing photography and not video you can get like a used canon 5d mark ii or like if you go even cheaper you can get like a used t2i and those are going to like give you way higher quality photos than you'll ever get on like a smartphone you can obviously start with your smartphone you know learn how to like you know compose and stuff like that but if you want to mess with depth of field you know mess with speed lights just go on MPB or KEH or even eBay and look up some old Canon 5D Mark IIs or Canon 60Ds or something like that. Get yourself a 24 millimeter f2.8 or a 50 millimeter f1.8 and just start with that. And you'll be really surprised with how good those cameras can look. All right. Next question is, what are your techniques slash uses when it comes to capturing audio? Well, I'm not the best at audio. I'm going to just say that right now. I'm not an audiophile. I don't know that much. But right now, like I said, I have sound treated my little closet. And what I'm hoping is that the reverb is going to be a lot less. There's going to be less self noise within this room. And... You know, for podcasts, that's great. I'm just using a Zoom H1 to record this audio. When it comes to my videos, I try to use a shotgun microphone that has a very hypercardioid pickup pattern and just point it right at me so that it rejects a lot of the off-axis sound. Just the best quality mic that I have at my disposal, which right now is the Godox VDS-M2 microphone which is great. I think it sounds great with my voice. That's another thing that a lot of people don't talk about is like certain mics will sound better with certain people and some will just make people sound horrible. So again, I have kind of like a nasally-ish voice. So I don't like mics that have a lot of bass because I just think that it doesn't do my voice any favors. Do you ever feel that the 8-bit coloring on the EM1 Mark II ever prohibits your color grading process or does it not usually bother you? Yeah, it definitely does not bother me. Uh, I think that the stuff on the E-M1 Mark II, even shooting an Ohm Log 400, can look really good if you just know how to work with it. In fact, Cole over at the YouTube channel IMCE just did an entire video that I actually am cameoed in about coloring the 8-bit stuff from the E-M1 Mark II. So you should go watch that. I'll have that also linked in the show notes below. But he did a really cool tennis video that was shot on the E-M1 Mark II obviously an 8-bit and it looks great. All right, next question is, hi, Nigel, love your channel. You've piqued my interest in the EM1 Mark II. What are your recommendations for continuous power for streaming and other long form content? Feel free to mention any other recommended accessories. Yeah, that's one of my gripes with the EM1 Mark II is that it doesn't have one of those battery doors like the GH3 does where you can put a dummy battery in and the cable can come out and you can still close the battery door. There is nothing like that on the EM1 Mark II, which is kind of a bummer. You have to take the entire battery door off if you want to use a dummy battery. So that's kind of a bummer. So if you're going to be powering it for long periods of time, you're going to have to get yourself a dummy battery and just take the battery door off. I've actually considered buying a replacement battery door and just like drilling a hole in it so that i can use a dummy battery and also close the battery door and then you can plug it into like a v-mount or you know whatever battery solution you have would you make a review on an auto pole uh Probably not just because I don't have any use for one right now and I've honestly never used one. So if I was in a different space and an autopilot would be really beneficial for me, then I would probably make a video on it. But that's just not where I am right now. It has been said that the more restrictions force one to be more creative. What is the most creative video you have created with the least amount of gear? You know, I feel like I have a lot that I shot with like pretty cheap gear if you look back at like my older videos like adriatic islands or even state 33 those two like montage videos like adriatic islands i shot in venice italy with my canon eos m shooting h.264 not even raw and i just shot that in the little 22 millimeter pancake lens and the 18 to 55 kit lens i think it turned out like pretty okay if they're not on my youtube channel you might have to check my vimeo and i would even say that like a lot of my youtube videos are kind of a testament to how much you can do with pretty minimal gear yeah i mean you can do a lot like i shot so many of my videos with that Falconize RX-8 little light panel and a really cheap umbrella, the DJI 15 millimeter, my Panasonic GH3, and then like the Comica VM-10. So many of my videos are shot with that, and I think that they, you know, most of them anyways turned out looking pretty good. All right, thoughts on the difference between skate filming and regular filming. For instance, 24p, 30p, use of fisheye versus rectilinear wide-angle lenses, zooming during shots, fast pans versus uber-controlled moves. Have you had any of the one style leak into the way that you shoot the other? Yeah, I've talked about this before, but my skate filming background definitely, I think, leaks into my cinematography, I guess. I do rolling long lens on a lot of stuff still, even when it's not skateboarding, because... I skate and using my skateboard to get smooth shots is pretty convenient and I'm not going to get a one wheel because I just don't want to be one of those people. But uh, yeah, like I think that the way that I pace my videos and the way that I kind of structure how I shoot and make the style of content that I make, I think a lot of it does come from the fact that I was a skate filmer back in the day and I still skate now. So I watch a lot of skate videos and those probably even if I don't realize it and kind of leak into the videos that I make now. All right. And the last question for this podcast, which I don't even know how long I've been talking, but man, my mouth is getting dry. should have brought a glass of water in here. But the last question is what is your minimalist setup when traveling? I think I've answered this before, but if I was traveling to another country or just traveling out of state and I needed to film like a short doc or something like that, I would probably just bring my E-M1 Mark II, And if I had the choice, I would bring the 12 to 40 zoom lens by Olympus, and then maybe the 20 millimeter f1.4 as like my prime, because I feel like that sits pretty nicely between like a 17 and a 25, which are like in the Olympus prime range, they have a 17 f1.2 and a 25 f1.2, that 20 f1.4, I feel like is small, lightweight, and it kind of sits in between those pretty well. So yeah, because the Olympus it's such a sharp camera anyways. You know, I could crop in a little bit if I needed to. That's what I would shoot with. And the 12 to 40 can basically handle everything else in between. I would take my cage, obviously, and my top handle and probably a monitor. I'll definitely take my Godox VDS-M2 microphone for my shotgun. And then probably I just bought the Godox Movelink m1s i think because i wanted to try those out and so far those sound really good but yeah i'd probably bring that probably bring like a 501 reflector maybe my godox ml30 as like just a little light if i needed it and then my tripod and a few extra batteries and i'd be good that would be what my minimalist setup would be when it comes to traveling but yeah that is all the questions that i have for this podcast if you stuck with me for this long seriously, like so much respect for you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. Again, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff linked in the show notes below and hopefully I'll have a guest on for the next episode. Anyways, once again, thank you so much for tuning in and I will catch you all next time. Later.